On today's episode, John Kelly and the infamous Barkley Marathon. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Happy New Year, everyone. I think uh, this episode will be scheduled on the 1st of January, so hopefully you had a lovely Christmas and yeah, Happy New Year. I thought I would do something quite different today. Um, This is a past recording that I did in my older podcast, the Everyday Running Legends, and it was the first podcast that I did, the Everyday Running Legends, and it now um, has gone off Apple Podcasts and wherever you find your podcast, it no longer exists. <laughs> um, I am focusing all my attention on this one and don't see myself um, doing that <clears throat> in the future. And the it isn't getting much download, so decided just to scrap it from um, existence, which um, was a bit tough for me. But you know, um, onwards and upwards from here. But uh, I thought just to finish, or well, to start the year. Doing something a bit different, something a bit more lighthearted. Um, I thought I would go back through the archives, e.g. my recycling bin of my laptop, and find John Kelly when I interviewed him. It was my most popular episode by far in my old uh, podcast. I think I was getting maybe between 100 and 150 downloads per episode for the podcast, and now... Like with this podcast, it's 10 times the size of that. But the John Kelly episode was just continuously going up 600, 700, 800 downloads per episode. People just loved it. And uh, he's a great guy and people love uh, learning about it and hearing his story. If you aren't familiar, um, John Kelly has completed the Barkley Marathon and at the time of recording was the 15th person to do so. And yeah, I think um, I didn't admit this in the podcast prior, but I didn't know much about him. I didn't know much. I watched the Barkley Marathon documentary and I didn't know much about it before that. Reached out to John because I was looking for guests. This was my 12th episode ever on my first podcast. And so was just reaching out to people to interview and came across his blog, which was Random Forest Runner, and thought, oh, he might be cool to interview. So I reached out to him to say, hey, do you want to jump on? And it wasn't, he agreed, and we agreed upon a time. And it wasn't until like a couple of days beforehand that I wanted to research him and 
come up with questions and realized that he actually finished the Barkley Marathon. And then I just got super nervous because found out he was pretty much super famous um, in the trail scene and the Barkley Marathon scene. And um, yeah, it turned out to be a great interview. He was fantastic. Um, I hope you enjoy. I do explain what the Barkley Marathon is. I, um, I'll take, I'll just pretty much slap in that episode now. Um, so I do explain what the episode is. I don't really like my voice uh, back then. I was trying different audio um, processes back then. In the early days, I was just learning. And so you'll notice that the the volume, particularly during the intro, just fades in and out, which you can still listen to. There's no, um, doesn't downgrade any of the quality, but you just might hear the volume just become a bit softer in moments as I tried to equalize during um, certain aspects of the um, the intro. But nonetheless, I hope you enjoy. This is just a very lighthearted conversation, but you just learned so much and John Kelly was fantastic. Um, yeah, so let's take away John Kelly and the infamous Barkley Marathon. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to another episode. I want to begin this episode with a bit of information on the infamous Barkley Marathon. Within this interview, we don't really go into a lot of detail about the specifics of the race, so I wanted to paint a picture for you before I bring him on. This intro will take a few minutes, so uh, let's get some soft music in the background. There we go. Okay, the Barkley Marathon is an ultra marathon trail race, which is held in the Frozen Head State Park near Wartburg, Tennessee. Runners can elect to run a fun run which is 97 kilometers or the full course of 160 kilometers and those distances are uh, approximation because it varies every year and the race is limited to a 60 hour period the Barkley is limited to 40 runners per year and the course itself which changes slightly from year to year will consist of a 32 kilometer unmarked loop runners run this loop five times taking a counterclockwise direction in loops three and four followed by each runner alternating directions on the fifth loop after the first person to complete the fourth loop will choose a direction of their choice now with accumulated vertical climb of 54,200 feet or 16,500 meters, the 100 mile run is considered to be one of the more challenging ultra marathons held in the world. And as of 2018, about 55% of the races have ended with no finishes. The Barkley starts anytime from midnight to noon on race day, with one hour until the race signaled with the blowing of a conge shell. The official race begins with the cigarette being lit by the race director. Competitors must find between 9 and 11 books according to the course uh, and remove the page corresponding to their race number from each book as proof of completion. The cutoff time for the 100 mile race is 12 hours per loop. Once a competitor has started a loop, They are not allowed to receive any assistance whatsoever other than from other fellow runners until they have finished their loop. Out of more than 1,000 starts, the 100 mile race has 
being completed within the official 60 hour cutoff time 18 times by 15 different runners. The 15th runner being my next guest, John Kelly, who unsuccessfully attempted the race in 2015 and in 2016, and then completed it in 2017 with 30 minutes to spare. If you would like to learn more about the Barkley Marathon, I'd recommend going onto Netflix and watching the documentary called The Barkley Marathon, The Race That Eats Its Young. I hope that's set the stage quite well for you. Let's bring on John Kelly. Can you just start us off by um, introducing yourself and uh, what you do outside of the your running world? Yeah, sure thing. So I'm John Kelly and my day job i'm director of analytics at a startup company here in dc uh we do data analytics and quantum computing software but we are also actually half located in adelaide australia awesome uh so very used to to dealing with the the time zone difference here (laughs) it's practically Uh, a stone throw away compared to you know between me and you (laughs) yeah yeah so I've uh, I've got that, and um, also have three young kids here at home, a, a three-year-old and one-year-old twins. So, uh, you know, quite a handful. <laughs> yeah, have 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 quite a bit going on here, and fit training in around that, however I can. Yeah, are they twin boys? Uh, boy girl. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. Cool. And um, let's start off by uh, telling the listeners how you first got into running. So I, I ran cross country and track in high school. Uh, I was I was good, but I was never great by any means. I wasn't gonna be able to go to college or and run or anything of, of that level. Uh, but so in college and grad school, I, I basically took. 10 years off from running, uh, played intramural sports. And, uh, towards the end of that, I, I said to myself, you know, I'd, I'd really love to see what I can do in a marathon while I can still do it. Uh, I, I'd, I'd always done better at the longer distances. So I, I signed up for one, uh, did that didn't go very well, but kind of, <laughs> you know, each race from there finished and said, you know, I, I think I can do a bit better and, and trained better and, uh, progressively, uh, built up to the point now I'm, I'm doing these crazy ultras and, and triathlons. Well, they definitely are crazy. <laughs> How long ago was your first marathon? Uh, that was fall of 2013. So almost five years ago. Right. And, um, did you do much preparation for that and did it go, did the race go as you expected? No, I, uh, I mean, at that point I had never raced anything longer than a 10 K and, and that had been about, you know, 10 years before that. So, uh, my training was not what it should have been. My preparation was not what it should have been. I, I just, between we we moved to a new area i started a new job uh found out our first kid was on the way and it was it was not good as far as what i did going into that and about <laughs> mile 18 it it just felt like someone wrapped two live electrical wires around my legs uh just constant 
cramping for for the entire rest of the race. But wow. uh, I I made it across the finish line, and then like I said, I said to myself, you know, maybe I should uh, try this again with uh, a bit better preparation here. Yep, it sparked the, a bit of motivation in you. Yep. What was the the time? Out of curiosity, for your first. Uh, it was around three forty, I think three three thirty eight, maybe. Okay, great. And how did you jump from that marathon to okay? I'm gonna try a Barkley. What was the uh, what, what are the stepping stones involved there? <clears throat> so I, I wanted to one of my goals. You know, it, if I thought it seemed possible after doing a couple was to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And when I did that, uh, I, I qualified just after the registration. So it was actually about a year and a half uh, before I could uh, actually run Boston. And I said to myself, well, what should I do in the meantime? Uh, so I said, well, I enjoy biking. Uh, there's some nice roads around here. I'll I'll give triathlons a shot. And I've really enjoyed trail running. I've done a lot of through hiking and uh, backpacking. So uh, there are apparently these ultra marathon trail running things. I'll I'll give those a shot. <laughs> uh, so that kind of led me to both of those. And and in both cases, I I kind of jumped in the deep end uh I, I signed up immediately for an for an iron man on the triathlon side and uh quickly ramped up uh to barkley uh on the ultra side which that was before it was so widely known uh and it, really i i wanted to do that one particularly just i, I grew up right across the street from the course so it had a, a lot ah. of personal meaning to me to be able to to do that there in in those mountains yeah a bit of a home court advantage well not really advantage but at least it's home court <laughs> yeah yeah and so that first attempt was 2015 yes okay and uh were you training for any was the training changed at all or were you just pretty much just going off the the back end of you know the the ultras and the other triathlons you had going on no i mean the the training was very specific for that when i found out that i actually got in uh it was it was very much uh a, a bit of a panic because uh, you know I, I even back then i didn't know that i would get in and uh i to be honest, I, I had no idea what I was doing for something like that. Yeah. I kind of looked around. I looked on Google Earth, and I said, "Where where's a big hill? I need to go run up all the hills, and, and I, I did. I just kind of blindly ran as many hills as I could and, and went into it uh, as prepared as I could be. Uh, I definitely really focused and, and tried my best to fully prepare, but when you don't have the experience... Uh, it's it's kind of been impossible to yeah. be fully prepared for something like that. What is the um, registration process like? Is it um, fairly like uncommon to get in? Uh, well, now it definitely is much more so than it used to, just because there's been this explosion of popularity. Yeah. 
back then it 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 was easier uh you know you'd expect to at least get on the wait list if if you had any sort of good resume i again i i had the hometown card i mean this is the middle of nowhere tennessee so the chances of anyone there wanting to run the race much less having a legit shot is is astronomical um but there is this kind of somewhat secretive entry process and uh, it's it's not impossible to find out. I mean, information is out there. It just requires a bit of work, and really, that kind of just serves as an initial filter. Hmm. Because if you if you don't want want Barkley bad enough to figure out the entry process, you're you're not going to do very well. Right. I do like how intriguing and um, secretive a lot of the things are, and how random a lot of the um, traditions are with like you know how the race has started and. Um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. The um, so once you worked out in 2015 that you were competing and you start well, you you gained entry into the race and you're preparing for it. Um, did you feel did you feel ready as as ready as you could be? I mean, sure. Again, as ready as I could be, but still recognized very much the fact that uh, as ready as I could be was not very ready at all. Uh, I mean, not only from the training, but there's, there's so many other logistical things that, that go into ultras, especially one like that. I mean, what, what really ended up, uh, getting me that year was I, I had no idea how to fuel for something like that. I thought I'd just go out there and, you know, take my energy bars and gels and, and live off of those the whole time. And, about 30 hours after nothing but processed sugar, your stomach just kind of says, nope, no no more. Right. And, and so my stomach shut down, and uh, I, I wasn't able to get any more fuel in the tank. And that was, you know, despite all the training I had done and my legs still feeling all right. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Hey, that was all she wrote for me. Okay, and preparing for that 2015 race, apart from the mileage in the legs and you know doing the the hill training and all that sort of thing were you preparing in other ways in terms of like uh, navigation or like um, mental training or like you know night running stuff like that was there any aspect of that in the training yeah absolutely i mean i i like i said i've, I've done a lot of backpacking i i grew up uh in those mountains, I, I know my way around a map and compass, so that was definitely helpful. Uh, I did study uh, the terrain a lot. Uh, I wanted to be able to recognize the features and know where I was anywhere out there, and, and that definitely helped. Of course, I didn't have the advantage of knowing beforehand exactly where the course was, because you don't know that until the day before the race. Um, but just knowing the lay of the land uh, was was extremely helpful, and I I did also do some some night running, uh, some some things in that regard, just to really get me comfortable uh, with 
running in those kind of conditions where I was alone out on a desolate hill at night, uh, freezing cold. Uh, so that, you know, mentally I would, I would be okay with that when it happened during the race. It's, um, the race is around March, end of March, April. Is that right? Uh, yep. What's the, what's the season and what's the, the conditions usually like with that time of year? So springtime in East Tennessee, and this is one of the things that makes the race, uh, so difficult and so unpredictable, uh, springtime in East Tennessee, you never know what you're going to get. And you, you really never know what you're going to get until the day of, I mean, your, your forecast could be wrong two days ahead of time. And so I've been out there and have dealt with unbearable heat on exposed long climbs. And within the same 24-hour period, uh, had water dr- jugs at the, tops, at the top of one of those climbs completely frozen solid. I don't huh. mean like a little bit of ice. I mean a solid, complete block of ice. Wow. Um, so, you know, you, you've got both of those. You've got rain. You've got fog. It can snow or sleet. It can be 30-mile-an-hour winds on those ridges. Uh, so it, it can really be just about anything. Wow. And uh, what's the elevation like when you um, attempt these races? Uh, so the elevation itself isn't very high i mean the change in elevation between the bottom and the tops of the climbs is significant but uh it it peaks out uh you know not much above a a thousand meters uh so it's you're you're not you don't have to worry about getting uh altitude sickness or, or anything like that yeah gotcha okay um talk us through the first your first attempt, 2015, f- from the um, from the starting gate. What what time did you set out, and um, how did you proceed through those through that? Did and how far did you get into that race? Uh, yeah, so 2015 and actually 2016 were both very late starting times. And so, uh, something else of the race is you don't know the starting time until an hour before it starts. Uh, you know that it's going to start sometime between midnight and noon. And then he blows a conch shell an hour before the actual starting time and you have to get yourself ready. Uh, and 2015, it didn't start until... Uh, around 11 a.m. So that was very much uh, lying mostly awake all night, tossing and turning, wondering if I just heard the, you, you know, the, the conch shell blow <laughs> and didn't get much sleep. Uh, and just nerves and everything else going up that first climb, my muscles were already locking up and cramping, and I kind of just had to say to myself, well, you either drop back and accept a mediocre result or you keep pushing and uh, hope this works itself out and possibly crash and burn. Uh, so I I went with that option. I stayed with some veterans that I knew knew the course really well, and that was uh, absolutely an imperative uh, getting those first couple loops under my belt. And so we, we had a good first loop. We had a good group at the front. 
uh, in the second loop, uh, Jameel Curry and I broke away and, and I, well, he broke away and I went with him, uh, akin him being the veteran that knew the course. Uh, and, and we made it two more loops together. Uh, he went back out and it completed his fourth loop in like 23 hours or something. So, I mean, well past the cutoff and it, and it didn't count. Uh, I was completely, uh, gone after that third loop. So like I said, I, I had nutrition issues. I had eaten maybe like one gel in the previous eight hours and I, I just, I couldn't get any more down. Uh, so, uh, I also wasn't used to being in that low of a low point. I hadn't experienced that before, so I didn't really understand the concept of, you know, it doesn't always get worse. And maybe in hindsight, I wish I would have at least went back out and started the fourth loop because I had time to do so. Uh, but I ended up dropping after that third loop. Uh, I got my fund run and um, got tapped out there. Okay. How long were you spending in between loops? Did you just like sit down, have some water, you know, did you change your shoes, change your socks? What was that process like? Yeah. I mean, that first year I, I did a, did a change of clothes, got some food in me. I, I don't remember exact transition times. It was, it was probably in around 15 minutes or so, uh, in later years and in last year in particular, that's that's really something that I I tried to minimize. And uh, me and my crew did a great job of that. As as those little minutes between loops really add up, you know, five minutes between for each transition. That's that's twenty minutes, and you know, I only had twenty nine minutes to spare last year. Wow. Okay. And. When it comes to like your first attempt in the, and you were saying your body was almost shutting down, not taking in any of that nutrients, what did that feel like? At what point did you start to notice that something was a bit off? I mean, pretty pretty early on in that third loop, uh, it was uh, very much uh, trying to choke down what calories I could, and as the loop progressed, I mean, about halfway through the loop. Uh, there's there's a pretty significant climb, and uh, I, I just, you know, I, I could feel my, my energy gone. Again, my muscles were still fine, but systemically I was just gone. I, I had no energy. Okay, so energy levels were depleted. Okay. Um, so completing three loops in your first attempt, what did you, apart from the nutrition side... Was there anything else that you learnt in that 2015 uh, race that you took away with you into the next year? Did it change your preparation at all? Did it change your training? Uh, I mean, the the big thing was actually knowing the course and having the visual pictures of that in my mind. And that allowed me uh, to better prepare for that the next year. Uh, it also allowed me to know, you know, what that I had done in my training was actually useful, uh, and what was maybe not so much. So in 2016, when I trained, I was 
I was much, much more efficient about it, and that was particularly uh, necessary. As you know, again, our our family had uh, continued was continuing to grow, and uh, I had less time uh, for things like that. I'd also started working at the startup. Uh, so I was just uh, much, much more efficient in in how I trained, uh, which you know, more effective but less time doing it. Okay. Do they change the course in between years? Uh, yeah. So there's basically always some sort of change. Uh, he sometimes it's it's makes it more difficult it always almost it all almost always makes it more difficult uh if there was a finisher the year before uh one of the big changes so there was uh in 2012 the year that they did that documentary there was three finishers which is is the only time that's ever happened and then the following year there was two finishers and the year after that, uh, he made a change to the course that uh, people who have done it both before and after have said it, it adds at least 40 minutes per loop. Uh, so, you know, that's, uh, that's what, three hours and 20 minutes yeah. uh, <laughs> added, added to the course. Uh, so, and, and since then the, the only finishes have been Jared Campbell and and myself. So there, there are definitely changes, but the, uh, degree of the change varies. Okay. So coming off that first initial attempt, you had like more, you're more efficient with your training. You knew more about the nutrient side of things. You had a bit of a more idea about the course and getting through the course more effectively. Um, so what talk us through the, the 2016 race. How'd that go? Uh, so the 2016 race, Jared Campbell was in it, which I was really excited about and was looking forward to running with him for a good bit and, and sticking with him. And so we, uh, like I said, I was, I felt more prepared. I felt less, uh, less terrified of it. I was, I was still anxious and, you know, kind of the typical pre-race jitters, but I was, uh, also much more confident. And, uh, it was again, a late start. And again, I, did not sweep much uh, with that. So, but we we got started, and the first climb, the first ascent, they both both went great uh, according to plan. And then uh, on the second descent, I was running along with that group with Jared, and I got caught uh, by a briar right in the neck. What's and, what's a briar? Sorry. Um. A, a big vine with thorns on it. Okay, I can paint the picture now. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't know if you'll have those down there. It seems like you've got most of the uh, dangerous things that can <laughs> kill you. But uh, yeah. we we have lots of enormous briars, and and I do mean enormous. The vines are big, the thorns are big, uh, and so running along, one of those caught me right in the neck, and you know ripped 
it flung me to the ground. Wow. And uh, I, by the time I got back up and, and reoriented myself, the group was gone, and I kind of just had a panic moment. And without thinking clearly, took off in the wrong direction and got myself lost for an hour. Uh, had to do a lot of extra work to get back on course. And uh, from that point on, I was by myself the entire race. What loop uh, was this that you encountered that? This, this was loop one. This okay. was like an hour, an hour into the race. Okay, and, right. Uh, so... <sighs> It was a very different experience uh, doing it alone, and in a way, I'm glad that I had that experience. I, I'm, I do, of course, wish I would have, uh, you know, maybe had a different experience and actually finished that year. But it was uh, really cool being out there alone and navigating myself and being entirely self-sufficient. Uh, so I, I ended up getting uh, four loops and came in in a, a pretty wrecked state. Uh, I had actually, the leaders, Gary and Jared, I had stayed about an hour behind them the entire race, uh, so I was, I was maintaining that gap, uh, but it also meant that I didn't have any time for sleep. Uh, so I came in after that fourth loop uh, with 12 minutes to get back out on my fifth, and uh <laughs> turned around and got back out and uh had a uh, took a nap i uh, had just about 100 meters uh up from <laughs> the road from camp within plain sight of everyone still uh and uh Laz dubbed that upper upper kelly camp there's actually uh ethan newberry just uh released a kind of a documentary on gary robbins attempts at, at the Barkley in 2016 and 17 called Where Dreams Go to Die. And there's some footage in that of, of me coming in from that fourth loop, uh, which I didn't know existed uh, until <laughs> I saw that. But I was in pretty rough shape. Uh, but I, I got back up and went up the first climb and got one book uh, before kind of, you know, falling asleep again and getting a bit delirious and, and having to come back to camp and drop out. Right. And do you plan, um, like, your sleep strategy throughout the race? Or is it just what 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 you feel like at the time? Yeah, so, I mean, you've pretty much got to do it by feeling because uh, you, you never know what the conditions are going to be. And, you know, it's, you've got to just respond to your body uh, because you want to take advantage of any sort of of good conditions. You want to take advantage of any alertness that your body has uh, and, and then just sleep really when you, when you absolutely have to. Yeah. And so how many, like in that, um, you said you had a nap at the start of that fifth loop. How many other sleeps did you have prior to that? None. Okay, first one. And and like I said, I, I didn't really sleep at uh, the night before the race. So at that point, you know, I, I, it was Monday morning and I basically hadn't slept since Thursday night. Wow. 
that take a bit of a toll on your not only the body but also your cognitive function as well i'm guessing oh yeah and i mean that's that's the big thing that that fifth loop is such a mental battle and that's one thing that i learned this uh in 2017 uh after kind of making it to the fifth loop and starting the fifth loop in 2016, I, I said to myself, oh, I was, I was so close. I was so close to finishing. And uh, in reality, no, I was, uh, that fifth loop is just such a mental battle, such a battle with, with sleep deprivation, uh, that it is far, far harder than, than the previous loops. Okay. And when I was, when I, when I, uh, did drop out that year i mean i was at the point where i was at the top of that climb deciding what to do and i i was just i i literally did not know if if things were real or if if everything i was experiencing was was just a dream and it it got to the point where i even said to myself okay if this is a dream just dream uh that you're back at camp and uh, (laughs) don't don't have to to do this big descent yeah wow okay and so um same question following up from the second attempt that you did what did you what did you learn that you could take into 2017 uh i think a lot of it was confidence uh that you know the fact that i was able to do four loops by myself was was huge and yeah i I definitely made some mistakes uh, even even after uh, the Briar incident I, I made some mistakes out there that cost me pretty big on time but but having that confidence going into the next year uh, both in my preparation and just in my my attitude the week of the race was was enormous uh, last year I was I was really just looking forward to having a fun weekend in the mountains. Uh, there, there wasn't nearly as much, uh, anxiety or, or nerves going into it. Okay, great. Was there ever a point, you know, in your first couple of attempts that you're, you thought to yourself, okay, I think I'm done. Or did you from the get go uh, tell yourself that you're going to keep attempting until you complete it? Uh, the first year, uh, I mean, I think the going into it, the idea was that I would I would try it once and probably be done. But it was again kind of the same as as after that first marathon that uh, you know I I finished and I said you know I I can do a lot better than that and uh, so kept going another year uh, after that. You know, but by the time I was I was going out on a fifth loop that second year, uh, there was definitely no doubt that I would I would be coming back to to try to finish. There's actually, uh, as of right now, there is Gary Robbins, which hopefully changes. Uh, but other than Gary, there is no one who has made it to the fifth loop who has not at some point in the future finished the race ah very good i like that and you didn't want to be one of those statistics 
Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, after after 2016, it was just me and Gary. Because uh, Gary also made it to his fifth loop and didn't finish that year. Yeah. Uh, and and again, so so right now it's just Gary. Uh, but that that I'm I'm thinking will change as well. Okay. And so 2017, um, were did you train? Were you happy with how you trained throughout the 2016, 2017 to prepare? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and 2017, it was it was again uh, the even more efficient than 2016, which was definitely necessary because the the twins were in the picture at that point. So yeah. I had three kids under three at home, uh, still working the the demanding job at the startup and. Uh, did a, you know, did basically all of my weekday miles as uh, m- uh, my commute, uh, just run commute, and then did a did a hill very close to my house on the weekends, and then added an incline treadmill, which was uh, I don't really uh, actually I'll, I hate the treadmill, uh, but you know it it's it's very useful in that it allows me to stay at home while the kids play in the room next to me or sleep or whatnot and, and can free up my wife and, you know, caught up on a lot of Netflix. <laughs> very good. Okay. So you're, um, feeling more confident. You're a bit more relaxed as the, the race start time approaches. Um, what happened when, it, when the race first started, uh, it was all fun and games going up that first climb. Uh, like I said, I was looking forward to a uh, weekend out in the mountains, and uh, we were having a good time on that uh, first climb that is actually on trail and, and easy to navigate. Uh, and it was it was funny because at, at that point, you know, I was the person that everyone was wanting to follow. I was the person with the, the most experience uh, out there navigating and so everyone's falling in behind me and uh, we get to the top of that first climb where you first uh, head off trail and uh, it, the fog and uh, I mentioned the fog before but this uh, I don't know what kind of fog y'all have down there but this is the kind that like you can if you stick your hand out in front of you you can hardly see it and it's nighttime so we've all got our headlamps on and your headlamps just reflect straight back in your face bouncing off the fog and so you just flat can't see there was one point uh where we were standing we were looking at our maps three of us standing there saying where's the trail the trail should be right here we were we were getting to a point where we were rejoining a trail and the entire time it was less than a meter from the point where we were standing and we just we couldn't see it uh so we got up there and in the early race excitement rather than kind of slowing down and uh being deliberate about our navigation the way we should have been we kept rushing ahead and and pushing forward and over the next uh four hours we proceeded to get lost many times uh we uh took 
went the wrong direction. We ran right over the top of checkpoints without realizing that we had done it. Uh, and I, I felt pretty awful, uh, that, you know, you know, all those people were relying on me for navigation and, uh, it was, it was not pretty. Um, so eventually we met about a third of the way through the loop, which time-wise ended up being like halfway through the loop because we had done so poorly. Uh, the fog started to lift and, uh, Gary and I and one other runner, Jason Lance, kind of uh, emerged out of that together. And uh, from that point on, we we nailed the rest of the loop. Uh, the other runner fell back uh, before the end, and when we came back to camp, it was it was just me and Gary. And we had expected there to be a big group with as many strong runners as there were that year, but it was uh, just Gary and I from that point. That was after the first loop. Yep. Okay. And how long did you spend at camp and how did the second loop go? Did the fog spent, lift at all? Yeah. So the, like, the, the fog lifted um, about four hours into the race. And uh, from that point, our navigation was spot on. And uh, Gary and I recognized that our, our backs were against the wall at that point. There, You kind of go into Barkley knowing how much of a cushion you have on time for making mistakes. And we had already used our cushion. We, we couldn't afford any more mistakes. And if you're working together out there, uh, the chance of making a catastrophic mistake uh, drops significantly because if one person kind of has a mental lapse and starts heading the wrong way, the other person can correct them. And the chances of both having a mental lapse at the same moment uh, is, is much smaller. Right. So I took, I think, seven minutes in camp, a uh, very quick transition, and started heading up chimney top told Gary that I would take it easy until he caught up. He took a bit longer in transition, uh, but he, he caught up before the end of that first big climb. And from there, we, we worked together and continued on. And really, uh, up until uh, both loops two and three, we navigated flawlessly. We, we didn't mess up anything. And we slowly clawed our way back into having a chance at a finish. Great. And so um, were you sticking with him throughout the entire race? At what point did that, um, did that end? Uh, so you have to split up and go in opposite directions on the fifth loop. Uh, so we, we stuck together through four loops, and then right. uh, we had to head in opposite directions. And that, uh, that fifth loop, was it, it started at night and probably like two thirds of it were at night. And then, uh, as soon as the sun rose, a very, very cold rain came, a very hard, cold rain. And, uh, so it was a, a rough fifth loop, uh, particularly being alone trying to stay awake. I, I napped twice act. Well, I intentionally napped twice. I accidentally napped once. Uh, I managed to stay warm with a uh, kind of a, a knit cap uh, and a grocery bag that I found on one of the climbs. Good find. 
Yeah. So, but it, it, but like I said, it, it was much harder than any loop I've I've ever done, and uh, it was all I could do to just focus on remembering what I was doing and uh, getting to the finish. Yeah. So starting that fifth loop, you know, you talked about in 2016, you had that really mental um, that you were just mentally drained. Did you did you encounter that same sort of feeling, or were you in a lot um, of were you in better spirits starting that fifth loop that uh, in 2017? So I, I kind of wanted to take a nap before the loop, but my crew uh, highly discouraged it because they recognized that I was looking uh, fairly alert at the time. And like I said, you, you have to take advantage of any moment of alertness you have. And so I, I took off and I, I did pretty well and got about, uh, a bit less than an hour into the loop uh, is where it hit me that I just, I absolutely had to sleep. Like, there was no way around not sleeping. Nothing on the face of the earth would be better than sleeping. And you just get to that point where your mind makes you forget everything except sleeping. Okay. And uh, I I was going up a, an easy climb at that point, and it's it's funny the the most dangerous parts of the course on that fifth loop to me were the easy trail sections because those were the sections that my mind could kind of just drift and not have to focus as much on navigating. And uh, I was going up one of those, and I I kind of said to myself, "Okay, um, I'm I'm gonna have to do this. I'm I'm gonna have to give in and sleep, but I'm gonna do it on my terms." And I'm going to make it to the top of this climb, and I'm going to lie down at the top of this ridge with a cold wind blowing over it in this really miserable spot. And uh, with the idea that after a very short nap, 10 to 15 minutes, uh, my body would feel more miserable lying there than it would uh, not sleeping. And that actually worked fairly well. It's right. it's amazing what a 15-minute nap, when you're in that state, can do for your mind. Okay. And what? so after that 15 minutes, you're feeling pretty cold, feeling pretty miserable. Um, how alert were you once you finished that nap? Yeah. So mentally, I, I felt great. And uh, I got up and, and pushed on from there. And, uh, you know, a couple of hours later, it, it hit me again. And I, I did the same thing. I uh, napped for, for another 15 minutes. And uh, after that, I, you know, maybe lasted a, a little bit less time. But uh, shortly after, the sun came up and that cold rain came. Uh, mm-hmm. So those kind of both helped keep me alert actually uh and i was i was actually kind of good on staying awake until i made it to the the very last book uh at the top of the very last climb and i i remember looking at my watch and there was an hour and 40 minutes left plenty of time uh to get back down into camp and then I looked at my watch again, and there was an hour and 20 minutes left, and I was just kind of standing in a different spot. And I have no idea what happened for those 20 minutes. Wow. Uh, I don't know if I, if I fell asleep or if I just kind of wandered around and, and forgot about it, but 20 minutes disappeared. Uh, and it took me forever 
to actually do this very, very easy section that I've done a dozen times before to get back to the trail. And eventually when I did hit the trail, I just, the entire way down, all I could focus on was reminding myself, uh, again, things are starting to to not seem real again like they did in 2016. And I just had to continuously remind myself that this is the Barkley Marathons. You have all of your pages. This is the last loop. All you have to do is get to camp and, and touch the gate. Uh, and that was just, that was my singular thought all the way down the mountain. All right. I was, uh, my question was going to be like, is, was there any stage, any point in time where you thought, yeah, I'm going to finish this, but it didn't seem like you'd at all be cognitively aware that you're actually, you know, going to finish it. What, what was the last, what was the last moments of that race, um, perceived to be like for you? So there, there is a point where you get down uh, at the bottom of, of this big descent. You get off of the trail, and you're actually back at, like, the park headquarters, the park road. There's a little parking lot there. I had also just uh, been forced to more alertness by nearly getting uh, swept down a uh, stream that had uh, flooded from all the rain. Um but at that point, I, I got back, and I'm like, oh, okay, this, this is where normal people would be on a day like today. I'm, I'm back in, uh, you, know, you know, off the course. I'm here. Uh, all I have to do is make it down this road here, and I'm good. And, and that's kind of the point at which I, I knew I would finish, but I was still fixated on that single thought to make sure that I, I did not forget and I, I ran it all the way in, not because, like, you know, originally in my mind I thought, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll walk back through camp up to the gate. I'll really savor the moment and take it all in. But I was still running just for the fact that I worried if I stopped running, I would fall asleep. Okay. Right. And so you, you've ran up, you've touched the gate. Um, what was what was the next couple of moments like? What was the, did you fall straight asleep or did you, you know, get some food? Yeah, I I got some food and it was really just a, a huge mental release. Uh, my mind was kind of freed at that moment when I touched the gate and I, I could think about other things. I could actually think about what I had just done. Uh, so I, I sat down there at the gate, uh, with, uh, my crew and, and with my wife and with other family that was there and uh, enjoyed the moment and then kind of just turned to to waiting for Gary to arrive as I expected him to uh, you, you know I, I asked if he was back yet and uh, made sure everything was okay and and at that point I just kind of assumed that he would arrive at, at any minute okay because you arrived with um 30 minutes until the cutoff time. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. And what happened with Gary that year? Uh, so he made it to the, um, to the final descent coming from his direction where you rejoin the main trail and you just have to turn onto the trail and, 
um, head back down into camp, and he turned the wrong direction and ended up uh, missing the last um, the last couple miles of the course, and right. so he was he was right there. He was he was as close as you can possibly come to finishing Barkley without finishing. Yeah, and he just. You know, all he all he needed to do was make turn in the right direction on that trail, and his mind was just uh, so far gone at that point that he he made a a mental error. Okay, and so he eventually found his way back. Uh, yeah, uh, so he made it back. He came from the wrong direction. Uh, he actually touched the gate, and he had all his pages six seconds after the cutoff. No but, way. Yeah, the the time uh, was was irrelevant because he had missed the last uh, few miles of the course. Uh, so even if he had come in under the time, it, it wouldn't have counted. Oh, I see. Uh, but it, it was still just <laughs> absolutely heartbreaking to see that, uh, especially with all the work I know he put into it and uh, his wife put into supporting him and uh, to come up that short. Uh, that little bit uh, was was rough to see. Yeah, absolutely. And um, that takes us to, I guess, well, this year. Has the the race been um, completed this year so far? Uh, yeah, it was, it was two weeks ago. Okay. Did Gary um, compete in that? Yep. So Gary was there. I was crewing for him and uh one other runner jody eisner uh from from nova scotia so i was i was kind of the uh the the team canada crew this year (laughs) um and and yeah it was uh you know we we all had had high hopes uh of, of finishes going in but the uh barkley had other plans and uh gary got a fun run in this year and no one else uh finished three loops uh within the time limit um is that because oh well it'd be a number of factors but the change in the course or conditions or what was it like this year uh conditions were really rough uh the first night uh they they had a good first loop and then after that, a, a big storm rolled in that brought really thick fog and cold temperatures and a lot of mud, and it was just uh, it, it, it was the it, it was the worst kind of window of conditions that I have personally ever seen out there. Uh, I was. I was going up to uh, cheer for them at the fire tower, uh, the one place along the course where crew can do that, and I, I was having trouble even with just the, the actual trails of, of getting up there. And they're, of course, off-trail and, and navigating in, in these conditions. Uh, so that really made the second loop tough. It, it, it didn't make it impossible, but they, they made some... People made navigation mistakes. People got too cold, and uh, it just really uh, did people in. Uh, it over, you know, if people could have made it through that overall, the conditions 
were great for the remainder of the race, but there was just that that kind of eight to ten hour window overnight during that second loop that was absolutely horrendous. Right. Okay. So, um, well, th- thanks again for your story. Um, we'll finish up in a second. I think it's it's great to not only just get a mindset for you know people who are participating in this but for actually someone who's completed it so you've um you've become the is it the 18th um competitor to finish Barkley or 17th so i was the 15th person to finish and i was the the 18th finish as there have two there are two people who have finished multiple times correct okay right um so i just wanted to finish off by um asking you what's your number one tip to help someone who's struggling through the last 10% of their run if they're really, um, you know, really struggling either mentally or physically. Do you have a, a tip for them? Uh, you just, you've got to remember why. You, you've got to remember why you're doing it, what you're out there uh, for, and kind of what that goal is that you have. Uh, you, you have to, to remain fixated on that and... Uh, uh, be motivated for that because you know there are plenty of runs where where I don't want to be out there. There are plenty of runs where I don't even want to start. I, I want to just stay inside and and sit on the couch. But you, you have to remember uh, what the end goal is and what it takes to reach that end goal, which uh, probably involves finishing that run. Yeah, great. Motivation goes a long way. Yep. Great. Thanks. Um, John, if anyone wants to um, follow you, is there any socials that you have that people can um, jump on? Yeah. So uh, I've actually got a blog. It's randomforestrunner.com. All of my social stuff is linked from there. Uh, but, But Instagram, it's the same handle. Twitter, it's the same handle, but it's spelled kind of weird because... Twitter limits the number of characters you can have. <laughs> um, but yeah, easiest thing is, is just to, to head to that, that blog and, and links to everything, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Strava, I think even LinkedIn. Uh, it's, it's all on there. Great. All right. Um, thanks again for taking the time to come on and sharing your story. It's um, personally been one of my absolute favorites. So um, yeah, thanks again for coming on. Thanks once again for listening. To take full advantage of the knowledge you are building, you need to download the Run Smarter app. This contains all of my free access podcast episodes, written blogs and ebooks, along with my paid video courses, all neatly housed into categories for you to easily navigate through and find content you're interested in. Also, be sure to check out the show notes for links to the podcast Facebook group and links to learn more about becoming a podcast patron who contribute five Aussie dollars per month to get Inner Circle VIP access, including an invitation into the exclusive patron Facebook group and a complete back catalogue of patron-only podcast episodes, which you can access within the app. Also on the app, you can even find a link that takes you to my online physio clinic, where I assess and treat runners from all over the world, so I can be on standby if you ever need one-on-one physiotherapy assistance. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.